Welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about, we've got a double feature for you, uh, <laughs> Venom, Let There Be Carnage, and Dear Evan Hansen. But before we do that, buddy, I want to tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast. We on this podcast talk about games, though apparently in like the latter half of 2020, we're going to talk about movies for, you know, <laughs> the longest time, I guess. Yeah, well, you're, oh, God. You're the one, so you're the one that put us down the path of like, oh, we should do like Young Justice and uh invincible we were supposed to also do like the new season of bnh i know we were supposed to do the <laughs> academia season which i do still want to do honestly we have a couple of them right we have like three or four of them to get through at yeah, this yeah. Point because we've ignored it for the last two years <laughs> but uh, you know carnage in our wheelhouse dear van hansen not so much but we both happened to see it uh, after i mentioned it last week so um, we're going to start with Carnage, and uh, the, as we were talking before the show, we, we kind of thought that maybe we'd run out of things to talk about, so uh, when that happens, we'll roll into Dear Evan Hansen. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but starting with, 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 oh, spoiler warnings for both movies, I guess, um, yeah. uh, if you care about either, and I will note for fans of Dear Evan Hansen, the Broadway play, that the movie has a different ending, so if you're worried about being spoiled about that... Um, I guess just skip this whole episode because I can't tell you when, like, when in the back half we're going to be done with uh, Dear Evan Hansen. So, <laughs> um, uh, so spoilers for Carnage. Um, also spoilers, I guess, for the first Venom, probably. But uh, you know, I, I feel like th- these movies are like eminently not spoilable in a lot of ways, like the Venom movies. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, there, there's nothing to spoil in Venom. Basically, the trailers gave it all away. I was really surprised how much of the of the movie itself was in just the the raw trailers this is a it's a very straightforward film you guys <laughs> yeah yeah no like like for the, the trailer moment like you know like you know oh it's a red one it's like all like the like the, the basically the, the end of the movie right like mm-hmm. um which yeah is, almost everything from the trailer is from the very end of the movie yeah. so yeah the yeah. only thing i think it was missing from the trailer was was uh i guess we gave you a spoiler it was a shriek like the she mm-hmm. um but uh yeah. And even then, she's there. You just don't quite understand her like relationship to everything, and you know, kind of the construction of the story when it comes to when it comes to Shriek and uh, I guess Cletus. We can say that, right? That's not that's not a spoiler because it's part of the premise of the movie, right? That you know, Cletus Cassidy, who will become Carnage, is in lo- like this is revealed in the first scene, right? This is revealed um, in the post credit scene of the last movie. Um, honestly, the biggest the biggest spoiler in this movie is the post credit scene of Carnage. So that's true. Actually, I actually almost missed that post credit scene because I so I went to go see Venom at nine, and Dear Evan Hansen was at ten forty, and I was like, "Is there a post credit scene? If there is, I might have to skip it or whatever." But it was like a midway credit scene, right? Um, so I, I did catch it, and we can't talk about it. Um, but yeah, all right. So let's. Uh, Let's start with with Carnage and start at the very beginning of of, of Carnage, I guess. Um, or do you have do you have like thoughts? I guess we're technically past. The yeah, my I, my, my top line takeaway from Carnage. I don't really think Carnage is worth it. I think you know normally we we like include a recommendation. Carnage is try is like trying to recommend somebody like bubble gum when they ask you for like a restaurant recommendation. It's like this is not a. It's not a meal, right? I like chewing bubblegum. I'm happy to chew bubblegum, right? But it just kind of um, doesn't fill the correct 
uh, need that that a, a movie would more traditionally film. To be fair, I had a pretty good time. It was fun, but it was just the most empty of all empty calories. And all things considered, probably wasn't worth my 20 bucks, right? You know, if I were to go back in time, I didn't have a podcast or whatever. I would recommend myself to just skip this one. It is eminently skippable. Um, even if, you know, it's not the worst way to spend two hours. I, I think I, I broadly agree with that sentiment. The thing that popped into my mind was, like, it felt almost like um, Ant-Man and the Wasp did to Ant-Man. Like, I really liked Ant-Man famously, right? I thought Ant-Man mm -hmm. and the Wasp was trying to, like, recapture, like, the Paul Rudd bottled lightning. I think Venom was a lot more fun than I expected it to be. Um, and I feel like Carnage was trying to rebottle that lightning and, you know, kind of missed. Although I think it did a better job of it than Ant-Man and the Wasp did for its movie. I just also think Yeah, that, I like, think yeah, I I actually do think in a weird way that's not a they, the, that recommendation is don't go see this movie. But I don't actually think the movie itself is bad. It's just kind of nothing, right? Yeah. Like it's just kind of hollow and empty yeah. and sort of like not worth money, right? But I think you know there's a version of things where let's say Venom, Let There Be Carnage went straight to video on a streaming service I already have. Like, like go straight to Amazon, straight to Netflix. I would actually recommend people watch it in that sense. Because then, you know, when you're not spending 20 bucks on it and all this stuff, right? Like, it kind of changes the calculus a little bit there. Um, yeah, no, like, and, uh, for, for, for comparison, right? Like, I watch, I have unlimited Regal for, uh, for, for yeah. my stuff. And, like... I felt fine about that. Maybe I wouldn't have paid the extra two bucks to see it in RPX. I'd see it in like the standard theater or whatever. But yeah. Like so that, you know, that's actually fair. If you have like, I have the AMC one of that, right. Where you just get, you get movies per month or whatever, three movies per month with AMC. Um, so in a certain sense, I didn't pay for it. And if you have a, a, a situation like that, I actually probably kind of recommend Venom. Let there be carnage. Actually, I want to, I want to clarify, by the way, it is not two hours. It is a, 90 minutes which is uh, was a revelation to me i was like oh it's ending the movie is ending there's no more like faffing about in the middle this is amazing i'm yeah. so excited a very tight a very tight movie right like yeah like 97 minutes right just like straight to the end yeah no i it was it, you know um so yeah that's you know don't spend money on it but you know if you've got the time and like a way to see it without spending a lot of money um mm -hmm. you could do worse i guess um oh you know what you know what i'll ask you um if you if it got to your head you had to choose carnage or dear evan hansen which would you see carnage in, in a thousand years or, dear evan hansen is a bad movie i think oof. it's, it's okay. bad it's just it's okay. a bad film. I, I disagree I, people who listened last week would say that i disagreed i thought it was fine um i i don't know which one i'd choose um maybe just because, like, I don't know. I like the music, at least, in Dear Evan Hansen. And this this one's just, like, so empty, right? Like, I don't know. Yeah, it's it, it, there are a lot of things I would rather spend. Honestly, I'd rather, you know, grind Corthia dailies, right? Like, I would rather, right? Like, I don't know. I would rather do a lot of stuff, <laughs> Overwatch, uh, Overwatch Carnage. But it's the, it's the, it, it's the perfect kind of thing. And this never happens anymore, but it used to happen all the time where it was like, it's Saturday, 
all of my friends are busy. They're out of town, so, you know, whatever. I'm just kind of lying on the couch. My dad is like doing something in the garage and he hasn't asked me for help yet. And I'm just thanking God that I don't have to like go hold, you know, some like riveter thing or whatever, right? Like to help him fix the car. And uh, and I'm flip and I'm channel surfing and Venom comes and Venom Let There Be Carnage comes on. That's perfect, perfect time for Venom Let There Be Carnage. Basically, any other situation, it is not worth that time. Okay, you know what? I I think that's I think that's uh, fair enough. I'm I'm on board with that with that description. Okay, so I guess I mean we talked about the spoiler aspect of this. There's really nothing to spoil. But how did you feel in a more specific sense about like the movie? Um. I, honestly, like it just it's it was like so nothing. Like, uh, like I don't know. I remember being surprised by by Venom, like the original, and enjoying it from that from that kind of perspective. But like, I felt like the humor didn't really hit me as well, right? Like the weird buddy cop thing, just kind of like, eh. Like, and mm-hmm. it it went it you know the story was tight, fast, and like you know made like too too simple for like there to be like any plot holes or anything, right? Like, um, you know. Part of me wishes that like it felt a little bit more organic, like the first one did, but like that's about it, right? Like, I don't even. <sighs> the first one, I think the first one is kind of like, um, uh, it's almost like the room in a way, right? Like it, it is a, it is a, it is an accident, right? It's right. this alchemical creation. You couldn't make this thing, and they're trying to recreate the alchemical accident in a lab, right? And it's just not really. It's just not really working. Yeah, I guess there's one way to prevent plot holes. Craft a story that's basically a straight line. Yep. It was really... I mean, there were... There are no twists. There are no turns. You know exactly how this movie is going to end. Basically, right from the beginning, the only thing that was a real twist is that Venom and Eddie Brock break up in the middle of the second act. It just kind of are apart for a while. Is that a twist, though? Like... No, it is just it like, is a plot development, and it just uh, happens. And honestly, that felt kind of like the <laughs> the obligatory. This is going to happen because this is the way this type of story goes, right? Like you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do have some problems with this. Like, so okay, so for instance, one of the things about about Carnage, we're gonna we're gonna go to the tried and true, right? My understanding of the comics, right? One of the things about Car- Carnage in the comics and Cletus Cassidy in the comics is that the reason Carnage is able to be a more a tentacle monster than Venom is, is because Cletus, as a serial killer who has no, who is a sociopathic disregard for human life, is more in tune with the ravenous symbiote that he is attached to. And so because they are more in tune with one another, they are able to kind of access that greater depth of power, essentially, by doing the true tentacle you know, shit, essentially. That's completely absent from the movie. And in fact, the movie goes the, yeah, yeah, the movie goes the opposite way that Eddie and Venom are a true pair, right? Uh, Who are, who have that sort of like yin and yang or whatever. And Carnage and Cletus are in dissonance with one another, which, you know, there's like a fanboy part of me that wants to be mad about that, but I just frankly can't fucking care. I just don't give a fuck. 
Does Cletus... The movie itself actually kind of pulls this off, to be honest, just because we have already set up that the Venom version of the symbiote is a huge fucking loser who is really bad at, you know, being a symbiote. So it would make sense that Carnage, as a normie symbiote, would be more more powerful than Venom. And I think that that's kind of just enough. I didn't really need any more justification than that. Does 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 uh, Cletus Casty fall in love with Shriek in the comics? Do you know? I have no see. I, I I have no idea about any of that stuff. There's a lot of weird continuity to Venom. Um, they like Venom and Carnage have a weird symbiote kid together called Toxin, which I actually really love Toxin. Um, and I'm pretty sure. Hold on, I actually now need to look this up. There's, I'm pretty sure that might be what be going on with Mulligan. Uh, there's like, there's like a, like a dozen different symbiotes, I think. Cause it wasn't like, like the, the one in the first, the second symbiote in the first movie was like one of like, like the, like the, the star force or whatever. Like there was like a, you know. oh my God, it is. I was right. Yes. Okay. So Patrick Mulligan in the comics is toxin, who is the offspring of carnage. Um, like, like venom sort of begets carnage and carnage sort of begets toxin, uh, and apparently he bonds to Patrick Mulligan. I remember reading, who, who I actually Patrick read. Mulligan? Is like this name supposed, supposed to recognize? Uh, Patrick Mulligan is the police officer. Oh, okay. From, from the movie. Yeah. I remember because there is actually a comic book series called Venom versus Carnage that I actually kind of liked quite a lot at the time um just because like it was just a fun fucking romp to see them to see them fight and the the end of that uh the end of that comic book series is the creation of toxin who has a different honestly toxin kind of exists in the same way that venom exists in the movies because venom in the comics is more of a true villain i mean he thinks of himself as a hero but he is like he's that i guess the lethal protector thing he pretty quickly kills guys he kills guys all the time right um carnage is just obviously a straight villain there's obviously nothing heroic about carnage but toxin the the interesting relationship with toxin is uh that he's he's bonded to a police officer and that the police officer himself is like trying his best to kind of like hold in and use toxin for the good stuff so yeah is that, is that why that why his eyes go blue at the end of the movie? Is that like supposed to be a, a nod towards? It Toxin? must be. It must be that. Yeah. Okay. Um. Uh. uh but any any of the other stuff with uh, any of the other stuff with Shriek, I have no idea about that. <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. I also don't quite get what they were trying to do with like because like Cassidy is like, it's like I don't know how sympathetic he's supposed to be. Right, because mm -hmm. like they do get like they do that whole like animated bit, which was like neat, right? Like I thought that was a cool thing to do is like have this you know animated like uh, you know almost don't starve like style um, mm -hmm. animation of him like killing his mom and grandmother, um, and like you know, and you know he he's, he's not a, he's not a psychopath, right? Like, he clearly is actually in love with Shriek, right? Like um, I, I don't I, at least my understanding of the of the definition of that, right? Like he's I, I don't know. It was it was interesting. It made him vaguely sympathetic and like you know, like you could see from a mile away that you know the character that can shout against the character that is weak to noise, right? Like that's obviously coming out at some point, right? Like, um, yeah. It also bothers me that he's weak to fire, which is not true in the comics. It is electricity and noise. But what are you gonna do? Yeah. 
Um, uh, I did, you know, honestly, I did enjoy that stuff just on a pure fight scene level. I was pretty on board for most of the act. I mean, there really isn't much action except for the very, very end uh, when like Carnage and Venom really sort of duke it out, which I actually kind of like, all things considered, um, <laughs> and I think it's pretty funny, just because the, um, you know. It doesn't fuck around. It doesn't. It doesn't hold back. It understands that this is just like a big blow up fireworks display, and it kind of saves most of the budget for that, which I which I enjoy. And it, it kind of prevents this problem that like some of the Marvel movies have had, where their most interesting bits are earlier in the movies. Right? This happened with Shang Chi. Right? I think that bus fight scene was the best part, and it's all kind of downhill from there. And when your only fight scene is the climax, by definition, it's kind of the best. Yeah. No, I like, I, I guess I have to agree with that. Um, <laughs> the logic is infallible. Yeah. No, I mean, um, it, it strikes me again that like, you know, maybe this Ant-Man comparison is fairly apt because like they go out of their way to redeem like the Baxter essentially, right? Who is um, Dan, right? Like, um. Like in Ant Man, the the stepdad's a good guy in in this in this movie. Dan's like a good guy, right? Like he pours gasoline and burns carnage, um, for reasons. Honestly, if there's one thing that I think is bad in the movie, I think it is the inclusion of her and Dan. I think that that stuff is just I would I could have done without it. Yeah. Um. It, it specifically because it is kind of copied from the first movie they did that whole thing with her getting in trouble and then like eddie or whatever and it's just like at a certain point your ex is your ex and it's kind of creepy in a way to be like still in the like have that be in the picture like you probably could have just subbed out if i'm being completely honest everything with her with mrs chan and i think i would have liked that better uh just because I believe that Eddie cares a lot about the little old Chinese lady who runs the convenience store in his building, right? That, like, I'm on board for that, you know? Um, and I kind of just, you know, I don't know. It's kind of like giving the Punisher a love interest, right? Which is another thing that has been done in other sort of movies that I always kind of chafe against or whatever, right? Like, He's just kind of too much of an anti-hero for that to be pulled off well. And doing it in the first movie, maybe you give it a pass. But in the second movie, it's two times too many. Yeah. I don't know how much I agree. Like, I, th I think that, like, but for, like, a couple of lines, I think it's fine. Right? Like, be just because, like, you know, she enters the movie telling him that he's she's marrying somebody else. And, like, you know, he's clearly dealing with the Venom thing. Right? So, like, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like that's him, like pushing up against and there's a couple lines where he's like i'm still in love with you or whatever which i don't think like if you mm -hmm. i think if you scrub those i think it's mostly fine right because it's like you know you, you paint it more as kind of like i'm calling her because she's the only lawyer person i know that can help me with this even though i hate to do it right like and i think that's I, I think if you like keep keep like the romantic tension stuff out of it she works as a character but like you know what are you gonna do yeah uh, what are you gonna do I don't know. I don't have any more complete thoughts than that. Andy Serkis did a pretty okay job directing this one. That's another thing. This is directed by Andy Serkis, which you might expect better. There's a lot of prestige involved in Andy Serkis, especially when it comes to mocap stuff or whatever. But I think he just kind of did fine, and I was more... I liked the direction of this movie better than I liked the direction of the first Venom. Though, weirdly, I obviously liked the first Venom a lot more, but that's like... 
kind of despite itself in a yeah. way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, like if Venom One came out as a sequel to like a hypothetical, you know, like if Venom if Carnage came first, like maybe I'd like Carnage as much as I liked Venom One, but I, like this yeah, purely because of the surprise factor. Um, uh, but yeah, um, I don't, there's just like so little to talk about here, right? Like there's like. Venom Venom has a whole bit where he's coming out at a at a like a gay rave and people think that he's gay and it's funny. People in my theater thought that shit was hilarious. And I was like, okay, I guess, you know. Yeah, like Gotta know. That's like yeah. the only other thing that happens in also, this movie. <laughs> also, do do the people he like in that he that he possesses, for lack of a better term, in between Eddie and uh or well while well, he's not over do they do they die or do they just kind of like wake up and not know what happened yeah i also was unclear about that and i was like wouldn't if you're trying to be secret wouldn't like the guy who you walked into mrs chan's grocery wouldn't he know i don't know that that part was pretty unclear to me i also liked how carnage could weirdly become like connected to a computer or whatever and i remember thinking at the time i was like man if i cared about this movie more this would be a plot hole that bugs me but whatever like <laughs> yeah so like that thing like it's like they don't they don't bother to try and explain so i'm like whatever um and yeah like, you know it's just like honestly i'm just they're getting from here to there fucking fair enough yeah, right like honestly, if they didn't have any if they didn't have that scene i would have been mad i would have been like how did he know where to find her if they had any more of that scene than just him sticking his you know fingers in the computer i would have been mad and i would have been like you don't need to over explain this right but it was right on the money of just a really dumb quick explanation to, to bridge plot point a and plot point b i did get a laugh out of like you got any of them internets just like it's like a dumb fucking line like, <laughs> there were a lot of dumb lines like that that i actually did kind of enjoy i laughed out loud when he said fuck this guy and ate cletus cassidy's <laughs> i was like what a great way to use your fuck i'm perfect perfect use of fuck in a pg-13 movie uh that's I also just think that Tom, I you know, obviously Tom Hardy produces these uh, these movies. You can tell he's having a lot of fun, and I think Tom Hardy is actually doing a, a remarkably good job. I think this movie would be a lot worse if you did have someone who was less in it and like into it and like with the premise, right? Um, than uh, than him on board, right? But like you know, because it's just like I was like. At the very end of the movie, he's sitting on the beach, right? And he's talking to Venom. Venom sploops out, and he's over here, and, and you know, he's talking to Venom. And I was like, man, this they have done this a bunch, this movie, and this is the first time I'm realizing that, like, he's probably talking to, like, a floating tennis ball, right? right. Which is re remarkable. Good good job acting to a green screen, I guess. Like He does both voices, right? Yeah, yeah, he's both voices. Yeah, I wonder. I, I am. I am insanely curious because they gotta have someone like being like a partner to like who reads Venom's lines for him. I wonder mm -hmm. like who that person is and like how like how how they do it if they like try and like you know get in character or whatever. Because I I feel like I would love to just like see the raw version of that scene just because like, I'm just like intensely curious about that. Well, so normally the the way you do that you actually do that backwards. You do it. You do it twice actually. Right. Is you do the scene first with a stand-in right saying. Eddie's lines, and then he's saying Venom's lines, right? Then he is Eddie, and he's reacting to the recording of his own lines as Venom. 
Well, sure. I mean, in that case, then some somebody is probably playing Eddie yeah. on the other side, right? Like, I, I would like to see the I would like to see the version with like the with like the uh, the stand in just to like just mm -hmm. just because I don't know. I think that'd be interesting. Honestly, I kind of I mean, I don't I don't think that they do this, but I would kind of be surprised if they went back. You know, like, could you imagine going back and forth, kind of refining it? I think that would be fun. Like, if I was an actor, I would love to do that kind of thing. It's a very it's a very like you know egotistical thing that I'm sure an actor would love. So so a, th a thought occurs to me. Um, mm -hmm. You know, when we watched the second Deadpool movie, we were like, "This, it, this would be a better movie if Deadpool was kind of in the background. Like, like Deadpool's a better background character." I yeah, think, yeah. I think this would apply to Venom too, right? Like to to get into the post credit scene spoiler, um, they show they he like multiverse swaps and like they show the scene from the end of um, Far From Home, um, and so he's in the core Marvel universe now. I think a movie with Venom is as like a secondary background character. Um, would be a lot of fun, right? Like kind of like being like the wisecracker in the background, right? Like if he shows if he shows up in No Way Home, um, and like it's just like cracking jokes in the background and being like, mm. um, although it seems like they're gonna play him as just like a straight antagonist, which is kind of sad, because um, I want I want him to be like a you know a wisecracking like asshole. Um, you know, Venom and Spider-Man have teamed up just as much as they, as they have fought. So I wouldn't be surprised if maybe they are. I mean, the the version of Venom in the movies is pretty straight heroic, right? All things considered. Right. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if he kind of gets on board and is part of the fight against Doc Ock. I kind of have a feeling. I mean, I sort of. So my, my kind of overall take, to be honest, is I kind of resent this move just because I like I'm more and more I'm more and more sort of frustrated with the like ravenous Disney Marvel machine at at this point like it just feels like everything is getting subsumed into into that and I kind of hate it and have a certain amount of contempt for it um, and it sort of bothers me that Venom is this thing that I have enjoyed. And I have enjoyed because it is so free of this, right? Like, something that actively sucked about Ant-Man and the Wasp, even though Ant-Man and the Wasp, I agree with you, is very similar to Venom, it, like, uh, Let There Be Carnage, is that it had all this extra, you know, universe, Marvel Cinematic Universe baggage, right? And that baggage kind of tanks the experience in a way because it has to fit a certain mold and include a certain subset of shit. And I kind of think that Venom Let There Be Carnage get, is a little freer because of that. I like it more because it doesn't have that stuff. And it isn't dragging down this overall huge cinematic universe project, right, with its existence in the way that kind of Ant-Man and the Wasp sort of felt like it did. Um, and the, the, the sort of speculation engine isn't for it, it, to the forefront, right? Like, you know, this isn't, this isn't something where I'm going to be going and reading the slash film articles like, Oh, what does it mean that, you know, Venom, let there be carnage mentioned this like stupid detail. I kind of like, I just sort of hate all that stuff at this point. And so it does sort of weirdly bother me that it is getting, you know, brought more fully into the, into the Marvel cinematic universe for however temporarily it is going to do so, I guess. Yeah. So my, 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 my counterpoint to that is I think the multiverse stuff, and I need to go back and watch Loki now just because I feel like it'll probably be relevant is the multiverse stuff will let them, I think, you more kind of these like separated like you don't have to be as worried about tying into the universe as cleanly because you you can be like oh it's in a multiverse right like you know um, yeah mm -hmm. like I'm sure that's gonna be a consequence is they're gonna like figure out ways to like you know connect the movies however they want and not have to worry about it so much um, I'm sure Kevin Feige has like a you know 
uh, a master playbook somewhere with all that stuff in it still. But like when the space when the space is larger, you don't have to like you know like like I mentioned in Shang Chi, right? Like I thought it was I would have loved to have an Ant Man cameo in that movie, right? But like you know you can expand that if your space isn't as big you don't have to worry about those types of things you don't have to worry about someone like me being like why wasn't ant-man in the san francisco movie right yeah like, mm -hmm. um so maybe maybe you know ironically it'll it'll be uh it'll be better from that perspective but i understand i understand your frustration um part of me also thinks that like because the marvel machine is so big um no one else is going to try it because everybody else who has is just like fall on their faces apologies to the dc C or whatever DCU. Listen, I don't know what you're talking about. Aquaman was a billion dollar movie, baby. That shit was tied right in. <laughs> um, but uh, we're actually probably gonna get news about that soon because they have um, it's like D the DC fandom is some is is right. a, is an event that's coming up, and I'm pretty sure it's because the next Aquaman movie is Aquaman: The Lost Kingdom, which is by the way is hype for its own reasons. Um, but, uh, I, I, I will be interested to see as basically the only other cinematic universe, like at bat, even I think, you know, I kind of feel like Disney had two plays. One was Marvel. The other was star Wars and star Wars because the sequel trilogy sucked as a unit, right? The sequel trilogy sucked has kind of abandoned that one. So the only successful version of that is Marvel. They couldn't even, you know, replicate its success in-house with the Star Wars, you know, with all the Star Wars projects they're doing, so. Yeah, I mean, the only other thing I can think of is, like, uh, uh, James Bond, I guess, but that's, like, its own creature. Oh, God. James Bond is the worst of them. Spectre. I mean, did you see Spectre? Did we talk about Spectre? No, I, I have seen, like, a total of, like, three James Bond movies, and that's, like, of all of them, so, um, you know. There are yeah, I mean, the thing about James Bond is um, James Bond movies tend to follow in kind of the footsteps. Uh, uh. Oh, Jesus Christ. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> um, they, they tend to follow in the footsteps of um, other films that are that are like successful. Right. So Casino Royale was um, was a lot like. The Bourne Identity, which was huge at the time, right? Or actually, that's not true. Casino Royale was actually a lot like Batman Begins, right? But, like, you know, whatever the one before Casino Royale was, like, that one was sort of like the Bourne Identity. And then, you know, Skyfall was like the Dark Knight. And then Spectre was like the like the Avengers, right? It was like the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And, uh, and the thing that sucked about Spectre is it did all of this retroactive continuity where it's saying, like, oh, all of this stuff is, is canon, and I'm just like, boo, this is bad. James Bond wants to be episodic. Let him be episodic, please. Fuck. Um, so, you know, whatever. I mean, No Time to Die is coming out pretty soon. And I have heard good things, actually, so far. Because I think people are doing press previews right now. You know, I just I just realized that I forgot about the other cinematic universe that, of course, we have to pay respect to, which is the Fast and Furious universe. <laughs> yeah, that's actually true. The Fast and Furious cinematic universe is another cinematic universe with tie-ins that is beautiful in its own in its own way and we have yet to do a series on but we will soon i'm sure yeah a a, a, a series with an un, with a movie that has for the longest time been untitled female-led movie which <laughs> um, i was explaining to rachel last night i was explaining to rachel last night how in fast and furious oh my god everything all right is, there an is that thunder there's thunder in los angeles right now 
that's crazy i have not had thunder i i don't know that i've ever heard thunder in los angeles anyway um in fast and furious 5 it venom uses uses its fuck to say fuck this guy which i liked a lot but i still think that the very best fuck ever in pg-13 movies is dwayne the rock johnson in fast five where he walks into a brazilian airport and is an fbi agent in brazil for some reason doesn't make sense go with it i think he might be a cia agent actually and he's given all these orders and then the brazilian authorities come up and they're like, what should we do? And he turns to them and he goes, stay the fuck out of my way. <laughs> and, like, and the thing that makes that so great is that he, Dwayne The Rock Johnson has gotten a like a family friendly reputation over the like the years right like he is now much more winking and nudging at the screen but at the time he was not a big movie star right like this was one of his first big roles that made him like a big a big movie star and so i just love that it's him saying fuck that it's him saying fuck to the government <laughs> you know like that that he is the villain of the fast and the furious movies but then also in the very next movie he is then going to be fighting an international terrorist and he's going to go, who can possibly help me take down this international terrorist? I know. The Fast and Furious gang. <laughs> like a bunch of track racers from Los Angeles, right? Like That robbed a bank in Rio. They're the only people that can save the world, right? Like... Yeah, it's, it's like an Armageddon a, where like the only people who can save the world. It's easier to train astronauts <laughs> to be astronauts. Have you seen the thing? Have you seen the thing where where Ben Affleck talks about talking to Michael Bay, and he's like he's like why why are they sending why are they sending you know astronauts? And Michael Bay's like it's a real plan, Ben. And Ben is like it's a real plan to spend oil drillers to a meteor. And he's like you know what? Shut your mouth, Ben. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> I just always loved. Oh, what a perfect, what a perfect interaction. Okay, I guess we've talked about right. Venom for as real, long as anyone can ever talk about that movie. Real, Let's talk real, about real Dear quick, Evan Hansen. Real okay, quick, before sure. we move to Dear Evan Hansen, because this is okay. vaguely relevant to <laughs> movies in general. Um, is there any preview that you've seen recently or that you can recall where you are excited for the movie to come out? So that you don't have to watch the trailer in front of other movies anymore. For me, it's um, it's absolutely fucking jackass forever. I have seen that trailer in front of like nearly every fucking movie I've seen this like this uh, this year, and uh, I want it to come out so I don't have to watch the trailer anymore. <laughs> that is a good question. There are mm. and right before COVID, it was um, it was the uh, that movie that that was up for an Academy Award um. Uh, promising young woman, right? Like that movie, I wanted to come out just because, like, not, not, this is not to say anything about the quality of any of these movies. I just didn't want to see the fucking trailer anymore. I have one hundred percent had that experience, but I can't think of what gave it to me. I have a lot of issues with trailers in in like in terms of specifically like the movies themselves when the like what what the trailer is doing right like you have the slow that that slow acoustic pop song in trailers i like i kind of fucking hate that i feel like two of them have done it good and all the other ones have sucked um you know you know what did it really good legion the fucking legion trailer had uh dust in the wind as a slow acoustic version although it's a, it's a slow acoustic song in the first place legion what movie is legion no it's world of warcraft legion oh <laughs> Oh my god, you're right. Actually, that's true. I I was like, 
what the I never saw a movie called fucking Legion. You know what actually else did I I did like the, the when uh, when Zack Snyder does it I like them because like course, he did that you with fucking do. Uh, with yeah I mean fucking of course but he did it with uh, Hallelujah it, with with Justice League which I liked quite a lot. Um, I don't know. Yeah, man, there have been because there are some Wait, fucking he did, annoying he did it with trailers. Because that was that was he, in uh, Watchmen, wasn't it? Like that was part of the movie in Watchmen. It was like the sex yeah. scene. That was the sex scene in Watchmen. Yeah. yeah, he used the same song. He used the song from the sex scene in one movie as the trailer for <laughs> for another. <laughs> that's like a very sad. How has people noticed that? that? That's like a good Twitter take, right? Like that's like a viral tweet right, waiting to happen. How Zack Snyder is it? Is he, he uses the sex scene song as a trailer for his movie about? A little kid's comic book, a little kid's R-rated comic book where Superman and Batman, you know, like, fight dark side. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't have any I don't have any really annoying trailers. I'm sure there are some of the past. What is I'm not like going to look it up. Annoying trailers. What are the most annoying movie trailers of all time? What are the hot takes on, on the Internet? Yeah. No, I mean, and, and to be fair, right, like. I don't think that the uh, like a lot of these shows I didn't think were particularly annoying. It's just seeing them like six times was annoying, right? Like yeah, like the Jackass one, right? Like maybe made me want to go see it. Maybe like so you know. And after this, we'll get on to Dear Evan Hansen. But I'm, I'm like I was never into Jackass, but like I am interested. I am interested for someone who like that was like because that was like our childhood into high school, right? Like. I'm interested for someone who is that guy who is like, I love these movies and I've been following them forever. And this is kind of like the capstone to it. At least it's my impression, what they think about it. Um, but I just like, you know, I watched it like I would occasionally see like a clip, but I was never big into it. Were you ever big into it? Uh, I have watched Jackass a bunch of times and it, it kind of makes me wonder if like, intellectualism is real because I think it might be one of the funniest movies I've ever seen in my entire life. I don't know that I laugh harder at a movie than like Jackass two. It's just really fun. I, and it's the dumbest. It's like, it's like, here's a snake and we're going to put a little mouse on Steve-O's balls and see if the snake bites his balls. And I am roaring with laughter and it is just like, that's it. <laughs> That's the joke, right? Honestly, actually, the very best joke in all of Jackass, I think, is they go to a golf course and they have an air horn. And right as people are about to swing, right as they're about to hit, they blow the air horn and fuck up their swings. <laughs> and it's just, it's just raw comedy. It is just pure, unfiltered, raw comedy. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, so, so it, it really makes me think that we're all just monkey-brained idiots that are just, like, laughing at the other monkey for getting bonked in the head. <laughs> Man, I, I bet you there's, like, a long video essay that someone could make about how, like, we finally wrapped around from post-irony to earnestness, which is why Jackass is, like, ascended again. Right? Like I mean, ja Jackass was ascended. I mean, Jackass was co-created by Spike Jones, who's, like... Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, the guy behind her and, like, all those other movies that people like but I don't really love. Uh, yeah, he was – he co-created Jackass with Johnny Knoxville and did Jackass for a long time. He actually did a lot of music videos, too, I'm pretty sure. He um, – it's, like, him, David Fincher, Zack Snyder. These are all mu people who came out of music videos, And whereas, like, now you see a lot of directors coming out of TV uh, and doing stuff. Mm. When are we going to see our first YouTuber director? 
Oh my god! Holy fuck! It's gonna. I mean, happen. I would watch the I would watch the Patrick Willems uh, directed blockbuster. <laughs> His Twitter bio has been. I'm trying to sell out. Contact me for like the longest time. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's get on to Dear Evan Hansen. I guess. You okay. Let's talk about Dear Evan Hansen. I I do I have to. Where, where do you where do you want to start on this one? Okay. Well, I, I gave my opinion last week. And I, in brief, I will say that I think it was fine. Um, and like I like I understand why people hate it too, just because like the the core conceit is like really fucking fucked, right? Like. Um, it is hard to deal with, like, like I said, I was basically having a heart attack for the first half of the movie until, until the, uh, the reveal happens, right? Like, um, <laughs> and, uh, I don't know. Like, like I said, there were lots of crying women in the audience when I went to see it. Um, I know it means a lot to a lot of people. Um, but, uh, you know, I thought it was fine, but, I, and like, I, so to be fair, this is something I'm actually very curious about. Um, okay. I identify not in the, with Evan Hansen, not in the kind of like I did a big lie thing, but like in the kind of like very awkward, like you know, like freeze up, like I like my heart is in my throat, like because that was me one thousand percent in high school. Sure. Um, I obviously didn't know you in high school, but ever since all the time I've known you, you've been very confident. So maybe you don't have this experience, but like, well, so interestingly, I actually do think that Dear Evan Hansen does something really interesting, which is in this story kind of encapsulate a lot like there that's not that's not an emotion i've ever had an issue with right you know like i've moved around a lot and that forces you to be outgoing and make friends quickly and kind of you know whatever and also i you know like i never had issues with like girls or whatever right like i was the object of a number of crushes i had a bunch of girlfriends i basically have had a lot of girlfriends since i was like 13 years old right like so like I, none of that stuff is ever stuff that i'm like I'm I'm connecting with but I do connect a lot with like the money stuff like the thing the line that he says where Zoe is talking about how bad it is that she's like oh you've never had rich or you've never been rich, rich. and he's like you've, you've never, never been, been poor, poor. Yeah. I was like that is an emotion I really understand um, because that was the situation like that was a real situation for me when I was growing up and I had a lot of resentment towards you know kind of my like un I don't want to call them like entitled or anything like that, but just like unthinking rich friends, right? Who do, who did rich people things that I couldn't keep up with. And I was just like, this fucking sucks. Cause I'm like working my butt off to try and save for college. And you're telling me about how you're so tired and you woke up at 2 PM on Saturday. It's like, Jesus Christ. I just went two loops on the golf course. I got up at 5 AM skateboarding down to the golf course and did two rounds to put 200 bucks in the bank. Right. And you're going to like, you know, complain about your mom asking you to like oh that, that kind of stuff always used to like drive me nuts right so i actually think that dear evan hansen has a lot of has this kind of cross section right where even if you don't necessarily hit on the anxiety portion of it there probably is something for everyone in there right you know one of the, one of the feelings that um that i had in the movie or one of the things that i connected with in the movie that was just like completely weird and out of left field was the moment where zoe is talking and and i hate this because i feel like it itself was undercutted zoe herself was um she was talking about how shitty her brother was and the song is i'm not going to sing any requiem you know i'm not going to sing any requiem for him because to me he was a monster right and i understood that like i understood that feeling a lot and, like, the thing of going out and just driving and driving as fast as you can, just as, like, a 
just as like an adrenaline thing. Like, yeah, I did that all the time when I was a kid, right? Like, you know, and so I think that there is a lot to connect to. There's a lot to, you know, dig into, even if you were, and this is probably part of the, the movie success, right? Even if you weren't necessarily the the outsider or you weren't the, you know, the band kid or you weren't Alana, right? Like that overachiever archetype, right? You know, like I'm sure a lot of people can connect to different people all throughout Evan Hansen just because it, it really kind of runs the gamut in terms of like the modern teenage experience as far as, you know, I grew up with it. Yeah, and, and on top of that, like in terms of like how it was, I know for a lot of people, they were fans of the Broadway show and like mm. went and saw it. And I feel like, I feel like some of the issues you made, like we talked about this last week about like how like the shooting maybe doesn't work. I'm interested in how you thought about that, but like other aspects of it that I think I more readily identify, right? Like, you know, like Ben Platt, one, he was younger when the Broadway show was ru running and two, like it's less important, right? On a, in a stage play. Um, especially because, like, you know, a lot of you, like... Yeah, well, I, I mean, so first of all, I think Ben Platt is bad in this, uh, and I also... So, okay, a couple of things. Yeah. I do think all that stuff sucks, and this is really the reason why I think the movie is bad. One, <laughs> I don't disagree that Ben Platt is probably really good in the musical version, but it's a different form of acting, right? In the same way that TV acting is a different form of acting, um, where... You know, when you're on stage, you have to be exaggerated and you have to be huge and you have these big emotions on your face because you have to be, you're playing to the cheap seats, right? right? You know, and you have to have people in the way, way, way back understand your body, you know, like your body language is communicating, right? And so all of that stuff is really heightened. But in film, where, you know, most of these things are happening in medium close ups, right? Which are closer, you know, like a, a close up in film is closer than. I would sit with you if we were having a conversation, right. right? Like it is an incredibly intimate way to view someone. And the film is spending a lot of times in close up with Evan Hansen. And it's so overacted that I'm just like, I'm completely out of it. Right. Um, so that, so that's like the piece of Ben Platt. The old stuff I also thought was there. I could definitely see his age. I could also definitely see the makeup, which I thought was really bad. Yeah. I was like, "Who the fuck is lighting this?" You, I, th I should I not be able to like, see that much foundation. I, I, I got, I got like, I, I don't know if he was digitally de-aged or not, but I, I kind of like was staring. I was like, "Was he like?" Because like I kind of got um, and I, I obviously don't have enough knowledge to understand this, but like um, yeah, like I was getting kind of like those Henry Cavill <laughs> mustache vibes off of off of his. Face yeah, it, it's also harder because it does seem like everybody else was playing teenagers. You know, like something that. Um, Something that CW shows famous, famously do, right, like The Vampire Diaries or, you know, like any of those shows, right, is they cast actors in their 20s and 30s, but they cast it for all the roles, right? So it's not like it is the main characters who are in their 20s and 30s in a high school of people who are 17. It is the main characters are in their 20s and 30s and all the extras are also in their 20s and 30s. So it kind of ages up the whole group together, whereas Evan Hansen... It felt like I was watching a 25, I think it's 27, a 27 year old guy hanging out with teenagers. I'm like, buddy, this is not, you're, you are not selling me on this, right? So, in a, in a world where maybe they age up with the rest of the cast, uh, kind of alongside it, I would maybe buy it a little bit more. Uh, I also thought the directing sucked, uh, mostly because it was boring. There was one song that was good, which was um, the sincerely me i think it was where they're they're writing the email the fake emails as if connor and connor is kind of dancing through the school right 
this is something I've talked about a gazillion times. You have to embrace the heightened reality when it comes to a musical. This is why Rocket Man was so was so successful as a musical biopic, right? Because it embraced the theatricality not only of you know Elton John's life, uh, but also just of the the format of a musical, right? Where you know there are moments that are character drama, and then the background sort of fades away, and you're on a set, and you're on a stage, and there are extras, and they're dancing with you or whatever. This musical had a lot of people doing the musical dancing with everyone else acting normally, or doing the musical in close-ups as if they were having a conversation, which I also thought sucked, and I kind of hated them. You know, oh, see. Uh, I, th- I thought that was interesting, like like the the kind of like diegesis non diegesis part of it. I, I I thought was at least fascinating, and this is part of I think why I bounced off of kind of like the overacting things is like, at least to me, like the because it was a musical, I was willing to let a lot a lot of that slide. Um, I don't know, uh, and I'm not saying it was the best movie I've ever seen. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that by a long shot, but like yeah. I feel like like this is something that maybe like disappointed me a little bit about um. What was that one that was up for an Academy Award with Ryan Gosling, maybe? Um, La La Land. Yeah, La La Land, right? Like, that felt more like a normal movie that was trying to be musical rather than, like, a musical moving into into the movie space. And part of this is, like, I was kind of, like, some of my earliest memories were, like, the the classic musicals, like... um, like uh, Music Man. Music Man, right. Yeah, we, yeah. we always talk about, yeah. Yeah, I reference Music Man constantly and no one understands what I'm talking about except for like you and Nick. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I have that same experience. For me, it's like My Fair Lady, right? Singing in the Rain, right? Like those ones. I actually haven't seen uh, like the traditional Music Man, though I obviously know, you know, yeah, I mean, and Trouble like, is the one everybody knows from that one, right? Yeah, yeah. And Nick knows because Nick was Nick was like in the Music Man in high school, right? Like, like as, a, as a play. So like, you know. Um, but like, I, I don't know why that movie stuck with me, but yes, yes, no, like be, because of those movies, I, like I, you know, which were also kind of of an older style that like were less, um, subtle maybe is the right way to put it. Um, mm-hmm. I think like I kind of like enjoyed that. It, like this felt more like those movies to me, which I don't know, maybe that's nostalgia more than, more than like good critical thinking, but I don't know. I enjoyed it. I guess I, I, I guess I definitely get that. Yeah, like, I, you know, honestly, I think people are dunking on this one probably a little too hard. To me, the failures are just really mundane. This is just, right, like, somebody doesn't have a great sense of how to bring a Broadway musical to film and makes a bunch of dumb amateur mistakes along those sorts of lines. Like, you know, I don't know. The, the, singing the songs the, the, singing the songs with that much diegesis, I think, was a big mistake. For instance, there's some hints of it in other songs too but almost always it's like it's like flashback and i just i just think that the movie needs to embrace that kind of uh, it just needs to be it just needs to kind of be bigger i don't know than than that i also think they apparently cut a lot of songs i went and then i read sort of the the summary um and i listened a little bit part of this is i just don't like a lot of the music in uh dear evan hansen it was all very samey to me uh to be honest where it felt like the songs themselves were what's a good way to explain this so you know something like west side story or whatever you have something like maria which is a very traditional kind of like broadway song but then you have the mambo you have america right which are songs that are radically different tempos that have radically different kind of like styles right like america has that that staccato rhythm to it right that really differentiates it so that i feel like those different songs are not they they don't blend together with my head this also is true actually of inside is maybe the best example of this right 
because problematic is aping that 80s workout song upbeat mix whereas like you know uh welcome to the internet like, is like a disney villain song yeah yeah welcome to the internet is a disney villain like vaudeville sort of song right or you know like i feel like shit is like a peppy right tiktok upbeat song or whatever right like those are those all kind of fit in these different genres and they have different musical constructions that can help me differentiate them in my head i just really have a hard time differentiating most of the songs except for sincerely me in evan hansen from one another they all basically kind of hit the same note of like I don't know, just weird, sad, whisper singing that Ben Platt does. And I know Ben Platt, like I said, Ben, ben Platt is in one of my one of my top pick movies. He's in Pitch Perfect Mango, right? right. Like I think he's a very good singer. Um, but uh, but boy, he just it just feels like he attacks every single one of those songs in the exact same way. And I could not tell you the dif the difference between oh, most of them. Even the songs that he doesn't sing are attacked in the same way, right? Alana's song, that, you know, whatever, the anonymous ones, right? Uh, the Requiem song, all of these are kind of are coming at it from the exact same sort of angle. And that just kills, that just like kind of killed the music for me. But anyway, uh, my understanding is that the Broadway musical has more, first of all, it has more songs. And second of all, it has more songs that are like kind of directly critical of Evan that are sort of missing. Like the musical's take on Evan is that he is legitimately shitty and this is a tragedy, right? Like he has sort of backed himself into a corner and assumed and kind of gone a little mad with power or whatever. And then he suffers this comeuppance. The movie dampens that a little bit it changes alana's character so that she's the one who creates the connor project and evan is kind of mm, you know he he goes along with it because he he wants the fame or whatever but whereas in the musical he starts the connor project and then quickly abandons it when he gets the goal of connor's sister zoe and he starts dating zoe and then he's being a dick to his friends alana and jared and in the musical there's a song called good for you that's apparently a banger and is everyone's favorite song where you know manifestations in evan's conscious uh conscience of, is, uh, of good, zoe and jared good for you i believe is is a song that his mom sings because apparently also like much more directly shitty to his mom and that's more of a conflict which is the other half oh of yep yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah i mean the the conflict with his mom i mean Man, the conflict is mine is also very complicated. But part of this is this is maybe the the sort of subsection, the cross section of the teenager life that I understood in theory, but not really in practice. You know, like my dad was never around because we lived in a commuter town, right? You know, and from seven from seven in the morning to seven at night, he's gone. I come home from school and I have to figure my own shit out, and you know, I'm I'm working a job or whatever. But to, to me, I actually kind of liked that. I had a lot of independence. I got to hang out with my friends all the time. All of their parents were also gone. We did dumb, stupid shit all the time. It was a lot of fun. So, like, I don't have that same sort of, like, oh, my mom is never around, and here's here's my, my here's another family that I can go, like, latch on to, and they're more of a family than you, mom. It's like, no, dude. Like, I wanted to be... I wanted to like go make out with my girlfriend with no parents around. Who are you kidding? I'm not looking for parents. I wanted to be a free high schooler sort of thing. But anyway, so like there's that kind of stuff. Um, I also just think that Julianne Moore was kind of weirdly cast in this. She wasn't great. She's was a little boring. Uh, Amy Adams was also not super well cast in this. She was also a little boring. But I think I'm harboring a little bit of a grudge from uh, <laughs> what was that other movie that that we talked about the the J D Vance one. Hillbilly Elegy. 
hillbilly elegy yeah yeah because I, I felt like that. her character okay her character in this is kind of a little like her character in that which i think i just like <laughs> like it kind of bothered me on uh I don't know, on a more basic level. But yeah, Good For You is sung from, the mom is sung from Alana, who he is more truly friends with. My understanding in the musical is that he, Jared, and Alana are like kind of a little trio of friends where Evan is not truly friendless and alone. Um, and, uh, and Jared, they're like manifestations of his mind and they're like berating him for taking advantage of the suicide of a guy he doesn't know. Like, wow, Jesus fucking Christ um so yeah. yeah no i mean that's the other thing too right it's like it's just like a tough thing to like really balance although i i am curious like because apparently in, in the in the show he doesn't reveal that he was that he doesn't reveal yeah. the truth right like in the show he tells the murphys the truth right but the murphys keep his secret whereas in the movie he does what i think is the i i think it it changes the ending right he is no longer a tragic figure um where in the end of the show, he does the true reaching out to Connor that everyone else failed to do, which is the thing where he uncovers this video and there's a new song added where Connor is talking, you know, as Connor sings today or whatever, um, which I thought was a fairly nice moment, but it's like giving, it's, oh, boy, this movie really lets Evan off the hook in a way. I think it's pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I mean, he loses Zoe, I guess, so that's, like, painful enough. But even then, they're not even really, like, together for that long. Uh, I, I, like... I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's just, like... It's it's a tough thing to balance, because, like, you know... It almost feels almost weirdly more real, right? Because, like, you know, let's assume that, like, everything plays out, like, roughly in the same way. like like Because, like, none of it felt unrealistic... Other than like you know maybe a couple things going viral, right? Like, um, I love that he's a milkshake duck, yeah, and that this movie predates milkshake duck actually by two. Or I'm sorry, the 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 script the the show on Broadway predates milkshake ducks by like two years. Uh, but I, I burst out laughing in the thing where everyone and it's a collage of Connor's face. First of all what the fuck was that choice? Like directorially or whatever. But second of all, I just, I bust out laughing and I immediately texted Rachel. And I said, it's milkshake duck, the musical. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, I think the social media cr stuff was kind of cringe, but I always, like, I don't think anybody's done it good. Well, yeah, except for like inside, I guess maybe. And that's not even directly about it. It's like a kind of like, a yeah, some, that, yeah like it's wider than social media. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe uh white woman's Instagram is, yeah, is about social media in particular. That's probably the best thing that I've ever seen that like has actually kind of tackled social media. Yeah, probably. And, and like, but like, it's like, it's, it's also not like a, it's not like a plot element, right? Like it's like observational mm. comedy. Right? <gasps> oh wait, no, I'm lying. American Vandal really nails social media. Okay. Have you seen that? Yeah, I've seen the first I've talked. Yeah, the first season of American Vandal. <laughs> and also the second season. That show was so good. Yeah. Okay, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll give you that. Um, I just, I don't know. I just think a lot of the social media stuff is kind of cringe, right? It's like, yep. a, a, you know, it's... Uh, the, the way that things effortlessly go viral on um, in, in shows and in movies like this, I think, is the part that makes it so cringe, right? Like, as if this is a... I don't know, like a relatable experience, right? That yeah. like we all, we all, we've all had viral TikToks. Come on, guys. You know, like that is a mildly common trope in TV and movies that just isn't true and feels unrealistic. And I don't believe it. You know, like I don't buy it. Yeah. No, and 
I don't know. But it, to, just to unwind it back to back to my point, right? Like, you know, they show, like, the Connor Project doing, like, real good, right? Like, you know, they show um, Evan Hansen, like, you know, he, he is a force for, like, like on net, like, you know, if we're, if we're going to, like, you know, do our, our, our fucking calculus, our utilitarian calculus and add it up, the positives outweigh the negatives, right? Like, um, but, uh, you know, it's, and I don't, like, I, you know, and this this might this might be a little spicy, but like I, I wonder like if this is kind of this is like kind of like like a can, cancel culture adjacent thing, right? Because like what do you what do you what do you do to him, right? Like make him like miserable for the rest of his life, right? Like yeah, you know he does what he can to atone, and like you know you know it's not like he he doesn't have college money, he still has to like work to do it, right? Like he you know he just gets to go on with his life, which is unbalanced, not like the worst thing in the world right like yeah i mean honestly maybe one of the funniest moments in the movie is someone i think his mom says she's like it like this doesn't matter right like you'll grow up and i remember hearing that in did you ever hear that in high school yeah like high school doesn't matter yeah yeah. grow past it which turned out to be eminently true just like insanely fucking true right like yeah all of this drama that i got I, i used to have like how much drama existed in high school that I would get so up in whatever about that is just completely inconsequential to anyone's life. To anyone's life. And I remember I used to get real mad at, you know, like whoever, like my dad, if he were to say something like that, I'd be like, fuck you, dad, you don't know. <laughs> like, but he was absolutely right. Like, um, high school's a bunch of inconsequential bullshit. So like maybe a year and a half ago, I went and I downloaded my Facebook archive and then like went and deleted everything old just because, you know, don't want, don't want that stuff hanging around. But like, I read through all sure. of it. Um, and I was a lot moodier of a teenager than I remember being. Like, that was, like... <laughs> and I think it's kind of valuable, right? Like, to have what is essentially a journal that I didn't intentionally keep, right? Mm. Um, that I could, like, look through and, like... Because, like, you know, time passes and, you know, you don't remember, you know, everything as crystal clear. Or at least I don't, you know. Maybe maybe you've got photographic me- memory, buddy, but uh, uh, I-, I don't. So, um, it, it's, it's a... I think it... D- High school doesn't matter, but it's also good to see where you've, like, you know, like, I'm, I'm grateful that I have the ability to kind of, like, see what I truly was back then and understand, like, and see how far I've come. So, you know, there's that. Yeah, yeah, um, I get that. I get that absolutely for sure. Yeah, I also think that there's a certain aspect, like, so, for instance, there's almost like a Watchmen aspect to Dear Evan Hansen that I think is underdeveloped. I, I, underdeveloped kind of implies that they were going for this i don't think they're going for this right but in the same way that i think watchman asks the interesting question of like at what point is that lie worth it right you know the the lie of there's an alien squid or whatever and it's going to defuse nuclear war between the soviet union and the united states right like the, the consequentialist argument to that is absolutely yes the lie is important and that's kind of where watchman you know we've argued about this right it's ambiguous right yeah. um but, like, Watchmen has real teeth when it comes to that. It is asking a real question. And the question has real consequences. Like, Rorschach is killed, literally killed, blown up by Dr. Manhattan because he doesn't believe, you know, he is unwilling to entertain that consequentialist mindset. Um, and I think there's a piece of that in Dear Evan Hansen, right? Like, you know, but the it doesn't care enough about any of that to sell me on it right like i think there's actually kind of a different version of this and maybe the stage play is that version right um stage musical is that version where evan has a more complicated sort of like ethical 
interaction with all of this stuff. But because he just kind of weirdly backs into it himself, right? Like, he's just kind of saying what... He doesn't want to hurt people, and so he's just kind of passively agreeing with them. And then it becomes this self, you know, this mechanism yeah. where he can sort of fantasize about the friendship that he didn't have, right? And when he... You know, he, I mean, he essentially admits it was a suicide attempt, right? When he has a suicide attempt, that there was someone there. He fantasizes that Connor was there, that you will be found or whatever, right? Like, all of that stuff kind of dodges this question of, like, well, would it be ethical for him to lie to the family, right? To this family in order to give them some closure with Connor, um, which you could make a real argument for. Yeah, but it just sort of doesn't. It yeah. doesn't really deal with any of that at all. Yeah, no, I'm. It's 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 more interesting, kind of like the like like you know, he's exploiting the suicide of of Connor, but like the things he's talking about are real. It's not like the, any of the pain he described or any of like the things that the Connor yeah. project is working to solve aren't real things, right? Like it's not mm -hmm. like that's not a fraud. It just like is built on, and it's like it's also built on a on a real tragedy, right? Like you know, like the orchard makes sense, right? Like, um. It's just not. It, it's it's just like the inciting incident is a fraud, which is which is interesting. Um, and like, yeah, and I think it's more interested in the drama of it all. Yeah, right. Like you know, it's the it is the the core sort of like tragic question that has to be resolved by the by the end of whatever. Right. And it's like, what what the fuck else is the rev resolution going to be? He never tells Zoe, and they go on and have kids. You know, yeah, like yeah. come on, right? Like yeah, that that version oh, yeah. of the story. No, is no, you, 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 you have to you have to pop the bubble, right? Like, yeah, um, yeah. It is like it, just yeah. like in just Young Justice, noble lies <laughs> <laughs> always backfire. Wait, what's the noble lie in Young Justice? There's like seven of them. Like there's like there's the oh yeah 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 the the yeah with with Jefferson yeah this is actually a really great example in Young Justice season I was I, for some reason I was thinking Young Justice season one in Young Justice season three they do it justice right where you know Batman everyone they tell this noble lie and they all agree that it was wrong and they appoint the one person who saw through it and called it out for what it was Jefferson as chairman of the Justice Justice League good job young justice Way to bring it, it, it back. happens more than that times right like Aqualad being a fake traitor is played as yeah. like a bad thing right like it, oh that's also true yeah um there's a, I'm, I'm sure that there's a couple more times when it, when it happens too. Just because like I picked up on this being a big recurring theme, which is if you remember why I'm calling that Wally's coming back because like they liked about her, her like visiting him in heaven or whatever, right? Like yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, but yes, uh, that is. But like yeah, you 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 can't have this movie end with with no one knowing the truth other than Evan Hansen, right? Like I mean, I yeah. guess maybe you could like. The only way that the only way you could end it is like with him killing himself, right? Like that's the only way. That, like, and you wouldn't do that, right? Like, that was... Someone pitched it. I saw someone pitch it as a dark comedy where you find out that Evan murdered Connor in order to gain this fame. Which I was like, that would actually be awesome. That would be the craziest. That's like Sweeney Todd shit. Fuck yeah, I'm on board for that. <laughs> you know, like the version of the story where he kills, you know, he kills a kid in order to get the fame. Yeah, I mean, but you nuts. you couldn't have that be a reveal, right? Like you'd have to have that be part of the setup, right? Like in order That's for true. in order for it to be a true. black black comedy, it'd have to be part of the setup, right? And like honestly, like there's like I that was a real question that I had that like kind of still bothers me a little bit is like how much is he just directly responsible for Connor killing himself because he, you know, misinterpreted the thing he pulled out of the printer. 
I, that, I, no one, no one, I thought that was going to be a thing. I thought he was first going to lie to the family about that because specifically they mention in two instances where Connor and Evan fight, right? Where Zoe says, the last thing I saw is him fight you at your locker. And then Alana says, I heard you guys fighting in the library. And I thought that Evan was going to deepen the lie by saying the reason Connor killed himself is because he and I got in a fight. And I was the thing holding him on, you know, or whatever else kind of thing. Um, and so I felt like that was a very kind of like uh, like unfired Chekhov's gun in a way. Yeah. Um, I mean, which is maybe just like a small wording thing in, in the script. But boy, did I think that was coming to pass. Yeah, I mean, but I don't, I don't think you can do that without making him a monster. And I don't think you can like address the fact that like, you know, maybe he caused him to kill himself without like totally destroying Yeah, him. I mean, I, I did think that the I, – I, I don't know. I, I waffled a little bit on how much I thought they were going to make him a monster because I didn't know the story. I didn't like look up what the the stage musical sort of resolved with until afterwards. Um, so it was legitimately a, a surprise, you know, to yeah. see where kind of like the story ended up after the premise. I mean, for, I, I didn't actually know about the him going viral stuff. This is why I was like, I freaked out so much when it was Milkshake Duck the movie because I thought it was just the premise, you know, like I didn't know that there was any of this stuff about the Connor Project, him going viral or whatever, um, or, you know, like, and any any uh, any of that kind of stuff, and I could have seen a version of it where it's almost sort of like uh, like Better Call Saul, where he tells the noble lie to um, that he doesn't care about old people or whatever in order to uh, people so they're friends with Irene again. Where maybe he would tell he realizes that he's a piece of shit and he wants to break it off with Zoe and he wants her to hate him because he feels like a piece of shit. Right. And so he tells her that, you know, his fight is the reason that Connor killed himself or whatever else kind of thing. That's sort of where I projected the film to be going. Maybe. Okay. I mean, 45 minutes in Evan, Evan would have to be much more of a bastard in order for that to work. Right. Like, like, like Jimmy yeah. is like, you know, um, better call Saul is a story of Jimmy turning into a bastard. Right. Like, and like, you know, still having like a heart of gold underneath, right? Whereas like Evan mm -hmm. Hansen is about a guy who like can't hold it together, right? Like the thing that surprised me the most was was like I didn't I didn't guess that like the the, the fall from the fall from the tree was a suicide attempt, like I that really that re that actually really like like got me when it happened. I was like, oh, that's fucking crazy, right? Like and I, I like clear like clearly Evan's supposed to be a sympathetic character, and you can't do these things to him without like painting him in a different light, right? Like I think you could go the black comedy route. Which would be interesting, but I don't think you can have him be like as much of a mess as he is, or at least like he'd have to be more like, um, more like kind of like a like a, you know, like a Luther Lex Luther from uh from uh from the Snyderverse, right? Like I think you could do that, sure, and have him be that kind of awkward and have it be a black comedy, um, uh, or you could make him like you could make it like like a heavy drop, like, you know, I don't think it can be a musical if you have it be like that, like you explicitly say that that letter is what caused it, what caused Connor to kill himself. Cause I think that's like too much. I don't know. Yeah, I get that. I also think that there's a certain aspect of kind of, um, when it comes to Evan as this, uh, sort of like awkward passive character and how much he is willing to make decisions on his own, Right, like so. For instance, something I could really see that the movie doesn't indulge in at all is is how much of Evan's sort of fantasy life he is creating by building the lie out from around himself. Right, um, where he, you know, like the song "You Will Be Found" is him essentially describing a fantasy that he wish happened to him in his suicide attempt that people found 
like insightful, but even that itself is a lie because there, there, he will, he wasn't, he wasn't found, right? He talks about laying there for ten minutes and nobody came to, nobody came to get him, right? And part of the fantasy about the relationship with Connor that he has in the very first song, where they talk about the orchard or whatever else, is that he had this great friend, you know, like this great friend Connor who picks him up. And there's part of the flashback in the song, this this fantasy of connor being there to pick him up when he falls kind of thing um and i think there might be something there in a deeper or more complex or better written maybe this is the stage musical one of the nice things about musicals is they're longer right like musicals yeah. can go three hours four hours right um whereas you know this was this was long this was maybe like two and a half hours this was long right but it still felt like it didn't get everything in there um, yeah, so, no, I mean, yeah. I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe it wasn't clear enough, but I, I thought that was like, I think it was supposed to be that like, you know, the purpose of the Connor project is to like keep people from ever hitting that point. Right. Like, I don't know. no, 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 sure. But what I mean is like, is internally to Evan himself, right? Like he is describing in an outward sense, the fantasies that he is living, but that isn't, doesn't really enter into his calculus at all. Right. And it's not like this is a, you know, like this could have easily been a great Gatsby story where he fantasizes about something so much that he is now sort of indulging in a delusional world where he can have the thing that he can't have because he's so willing to lie, not just to everyone else, but also to himself. Right. Um, and I think that's so that, that, yeah, that's kind of subtext to it right but it's not really text it's not really part of his real character you yeah. don't really see him grappling with this like delusion and he always seems sort of in control of the delusion itself and kind of where it's going and what it's you know yeah no no his, his character is definitely supposed to be much more like you know he he kind of got caught in this lie like he, he was too passive and he got caught in the lie and he is unwilling to go through the awkwardness to break it um, yep. until until he absolutely has to right like um, that was that was the, the one thing that's shown to me as being the absolute because is I don't understand why that letter made his parents seem like like why why that caused like the backlash against his parents right like yep um, I also did not get that plot point I felt unsupported to me yeah. but um, I also think a lot of that stuff was yeah. I don't know that that was kind of like it needed to happen because the plot like like the plot needed to happen like I don't know I just feel like that particular moment like didn't work also also like there, there's some like like you know like they they kind of try it feels like they're trying to reform the dad through the movie right and like also there's not a super clear exploration of like if connor was actually a bastard or not right like that if there's anything that i was disappointed by it was that aspect of it i think something that i was really interested in with requiem was how much zoe was like she was like connor was a piece of he was a piece of shit right and I thought the movie was going to just be meaner about it, right? Like, he, they, they sort of do deify Connor a little bit, and then that never really comes home to roost as a plot point when it does – all of the evidence on hand is that he was a piece of shit, right? Yeah, I mean, I, because everything else about him is a fucking lie. But, like, but then the movie ends on a version of Connor that seems to be affirming the version of Connor that was a lie, which I'm just like – I sort of just wish the movie was more honest with – uh, or you know the musical was more honest with whether was dealing with someone who is a piece of shit like that right like yeah I mean I think I think the hard thing to, to do there is like I mean one in like a very modern context and two in kind of just like a real context right like how like part part of this is that like mental you know like 
if you suffer from like a real mental health problem, like how much of that is your fault, right? Like how much, yeah. And like, I, I feel like that's a very real emotion, right? Like it's like, you know, when he was good, he was good. When he was, when he was his mother's little boy, he was a good kid. Right. But like the monster that came out because of his mental demons, like couldn't be handled. Right. Like, like this is, I think most clearly um, gone through the stepfather who like, you know, as we come to learn, tried to be a good stepfather, but just couldn't handle it. And, you know, in the beginning, he's like, you know, he was, he was bad and he wasn't getting better. And maybe this, you know, and he didn't say it, but like, maybe this was like the, the, the way that like it had to go. Right. Like, which is, you know, a shitty thing, but like a thing that like felt very honest in a lot of ways. Right. Like it's just, you know, I think, I think it's a tough subject matter to handle doubly or quadruply so in a fucking musical right like yeah but part of this is that it's all i think you could have ripped the music out of this entirely and it would have been better probably if this was just a straight you know coming of age drama probably would have been a better movie uh because a lot of the music really took away from what was going on and so much of this is like grappling with it's a musical at the same time that you're trying to have you know I don't know. It also just seems well, like you, you, there you is... mentioned that that sincerely me was like a good song, right? Like, and I, I agree it was yeah, it was, a, yeah. it was a good song, but like when the character Connor comes on screen, my jaw kind of dropped, right? I was like, like Ken, is is this okay, right? Like, you know, <laughs> is this okay? I mean, I think there's a lot that's not okay in a wider context. I actually right. kind of hate you will be found as a musical because. In part as a as a song, in particular, because that is framed as sort of the message of the movie. It's this like uplifting, you know, this like uplifting message of like, oh, people, there are people who care who care about you or whatever. But I just think that's not the reality. That's just not the reality. And, and in the context of the movie itself, it's also not reality. Connor was or Connor was not there. Evan was not found. Evan had to pick himself up and go to his boss. And take the bus to the hospital or whatever he said, right? You know, there was no one there to pick him up. And also, I just don't think that that's how you solve suicidal people and suicidal thoughts. There is no thing that I as a friend can say to a friend of mine who is suicidal that it's going to, they will be found him and solve that problem. I just think that's not real. And I think it's kind of fucked up that that's like the inspirational trailer music of, you know oh this is so this is this is so uplifting what an uplifting musical or whatever just like i just don't think that's reality dude like and i don't don't think that like like having having a better support network would would like help with that kind of thing like i'm sure that having a better support network absolutely you know like does or would but i i think the dark side of a song like you will be found is it is then placing the blame on everyone you everyone else right you oh you weren't there to find them. You know, you didn't say the thing that they needed to hear. That's why it happened. And that's not how it, I just not how it works. I just like kind of flatly deny that those are the circumstances. So in a, in a vague, you know, Oh, we're all, we're all dealing with mental illness of some, whatever. We're all dealing with our own anxieties and insecurities and, you know, the anonymous ones bit of that. I, I can absolutely get on board with, right. You know, there's the thing that's like just because you can't tell doesn't mean we we don't carry them well or whatever or doesn't mean they're not heavy whatever the bit was that line i think is very insightful and is very good and i think you will be found is trying to 
use that idea, right? He's trying to point to that idea. But because it is framed about specifically suicide, that's the part where I'm just like, no. <laughs> like, I don't think that's how this works, right? Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I agree with you 100%, but I, I see your point. I, I, th I think the movie has, like, a real problem trying to, like, both be real and be idealized and like switching context between them. I, I think, I think that's the, yeah. the kind of more solid grounding for that, for that point. But I, I, I see where you're coming from. And, and it's also maybe a marketing thing. It's maybe less in the movie than it is in the marketing, right? Like I've seen the Dear Evan Hansen trailer a couple of times. It's played in front of a couple of movies, right? And it is, it is framed as an uplifting story about the, you know, like the tagline is hashtag you will be found. And it's for the outsider in all of us. Right. Which like, I, un I understand what they're going for, and I understand how those two things kind of connect, but they also kind of don't. And that and so, really, I'm sort of taking issue with that version of the marketing that's kind of playing this sleight of hand with what the song You Will Be Found is about, more so than the song in the context of the movie itself. Okay. I think I maybe I buy that. Well, we've talked about this movie for long time. We talked about Carnage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we almost did the whole podcast on, on Dear Evan Hansen. Oh, I mean, I, mean, I wanted to. I'm yeah. not going to lie. I came out of that movie like, what the fuck? I will say, in terms of movie musicals, it is not worse than Cats. Everybody who said this is worse than Cats is a fucking liar. It's also not even worse than Les Mis, to be honest. Like, I, I still say it's bad. Um, but it is... It is I don't know. It's just like bad and more mundane. It reminds me a lot of the Phantom of the Opera, actually. Uh, have you ever seen that movie? Not as bad, no. but have you ever seen the movie? No, not as not as. Movie. Yeah, it's it's just it's bad for very mundane reasons. Gerard Butler is not a good singer. That's why the movie is bad, you know. And in the same way that, you know, Ben Platt can't really do this in a movie in the same way that he could on a stage. Sorry, bud. Like you know. I, I know you're going for your EGOT because he won an Emmy, a Grammy, and an Oscar, or, or an, an Emmy, a Grammy, and a Tony for this role, right? So if he did get the Oscar for Dear Evan Hansen, which still up in the air, who knows what the, the Academy will do, right? Uh, he would get an EGOT all on the same performance of this one role, which would be impressive enough. Um, but yeah, I just think it is. Uh, it, yeah, it's just like it's bad in a very mundane way. It is not bad in the fun kind of bonkers way that something like Cats was bad. Yeah. I don't know. I, don't, I still don't think it's bad. I just think I just think it's like weird to like juggle like I like my my problems fundamentally are more kind of like like we were talking about with with like the script rather than with the stuff and like maybe that's just like I don't know me enjoying. I'm looking at what what are some of the worst movie musicals? Uh look. Let me think. Do I? I don't know. Is it better or worse than um that fucking uh the one we watched alongside uh alongside Hamilton uh, like eight, 1867 or whatever it was or you know oh 1776 yeah 1776 oh, is obviously better okay. in my head 1776 is just you know it's a it's a 1776 it's a does it's have a, some slavery apology or some Thomas Jefferson apology in it okay that's true that that's fair that's okay <laughs> you, you got me that's real uh but you know. I'm just looking at some of these. These are not, these are these are like re really weird ones. You ever seen nine? The Ro people didn't like the rocket. I like the Rock of Ages 2012 musical. That was a musical that knew its business. And also, Tom Cruise as Stacy Jacks was really great in that in that movie. That was that was a pretty perfect one. Yeah, I mean, it's I don't know. It's just it's just not as bad as Cats. Cats is so bad. 
Okay. I have not seen Cats. It was a thing I considered watching as a meme, but uh, I did not. Um, so, stack rank. Oh, right. We already did this. Um, you like Carnage better than than Dear Evan Hansen. Um, yep. I don't. I, I'm still. I'm still undecided on that. Just because, like, there's a part of me that would like. Like, I feel like. I feel like I was at least. One, I was emo- I was definitely emotionally manipulated by Dear Evan Hansen. That's an easy thing to do to me, right? Like to like, even if I thought overall there was like some coherence problems, the individual moments could like tug at my heartstrings in a in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was fascinating, kind of like trying to resolve these problems. So from that perspective, I think I enjoyed kind of like the critical and viewing experience of Dear Evan Hansen more than Carnage, which is kind of like, hey, uh, Woody Harrelson is wearing like a funny suit. And like you know, and it's it, like a roller coaster ride, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I don't know, but um, but the last five minutes, how was your week? Uh, in the last five minutes, what else did I do this week? I've been playing a lot of Vermintide too. Have we talked about this? We did, yes, last week. Yeah, okay. Mm, yeah, you're right. Okay, I've been playing. Oh, oh, the other one. Okay, so the best movie I watched this weekend which I'm actually watching again because it was actually really good, is The Many Saints of Newark, which finally came out, the uh, the, the Sopranos prequel, which uh, it's really good. Uh, but it's good in a really interesting way. It is, you know, so for instance, El Camino is uh, is another one like this. That it reminds me a lot of El Camino, but as a contrast more than, than a comparison, right? El Camino is tying up loose ends, right? It's this sort of love letter to the series, and it is wrapping up, you know, like a lot of a lot of loose ends and kind of putting everything to rest, right? In the same way that maybe I don't know, like the Hobbit movies was, you know, Peter Jackson kind of getting the gang back together and doing a thing, even if you think the Hobbit movies are bad, that's sort of what they are, right? Um, El Camino, El Camino was was that. The Many Saints of Newark is much more like the Star Wars prequels in the sense that it is not so much about the the individual continuity and it sets up a pretty radically different state of affairs than the Sopranos TV show itself even though it's using a lot of these same characters right I'm seeing Tony Soprano I'm seeing Janice Soprano I'm seeing you know uh Silvio Dante Polly Walnuts right you know you see people's dads right um the main character of the Many Saints of Newark is Dickie Moltisanti who is Christopher Moltisanti we're like one of the you know, one of the important Sopranos characters, Christopher Moltisanti's dad, who never shows up in, in the Sopranos show. I won't, I won't give any more spoilers than that, right? But the thing that it does that is so incredibly interesting and so incredibly clever is it rhymes. It does the George Lucas, it rhymes thing. With the story of Dickie Moltisanti rhyming so hard with the story of Tony Soprano. And I think it rhymes so hard that... My crazy fan theory is that the rhyming subtext implies a resolution to the famously anticlimax of the Soprano series. I think the Many Saints of Newark explains what the ending of the Sopranos of the Soprano mm. series is by by way of thematic subtext, which is incredibly cool and clever, right? Um, and I just, I had a blast. I just, I had a fucking blast. That movie was great. It also has a, a brilliant framing device that I later found out was only added in reshoots. But holy shit, whoever thought of that idea, what a fucking, just like, 
What an amazing guy. Whoever thought of that idea. Apparently, uh, I, I read an interview where they said that the framing device of um, uh, the framing device of the Many Saints of Newark, which again, I won't, I won't spoil anything, right? Uh, was only thought up after after reshoots because they had the pandemic. They shot half of the movie, then the pandemic shut everything down, and then afterwards, David Chase came back and he said, "I actually wrote a couple extra scenes here," and that became the framing device of the movie itself. And I was like golden this is it's so good what a good idea so i cannot rant and rave about the many saints of newark enough um even though it's apparently getting you know relatively mixed uh relatively mixed reviews i have a feeling mostly because a lot of this stuff is thematic rather than plot driven it comes to a thematic crescendo and conclusion much more so than it comes to a plot crescendo and conclusion right and i think a lot of people would probably say that the the ending of the movie is anticlimactic and that it feels more like a TV show. TV shows tend to do that, right? Like they, they don't ramp in the way that a movie ramps. Um, but I would disagree with that wholeheartedly just because I think the ramping is all in that thematic subtext. And if that's what you're in for, it is a treat. So there, there you go. It's my, it's my minor review until Mango, I guess, watches all of the Sopranos. And then we do a six week week by week play by play of the fucking sopranos yeah, I, in, I, I, in preparation for the betting states of new work i assume that when we do that we're going to do it as like a, a back half thing like we were doing with saul um yeah i was actually what i was what i was thinking too right like um honestly you know man i'm interested for those days especially because uh you know we're both from new jersey and part of the appeal of the sopranos is uh oh my, like like that my parents love watching the sopranos because it was like where they grew up like they yeah, they drove yeah. down the street that my mom grew up on at one point they skipped by my mom's house apparently like my, my mom was I, I actually asked her if she was gonna watch the many scenes and it's like they they need to watch the last season of the sopranos but um they okay um but they were watching like they watched it when we were when i was growing up like when it was coming out um and they wouldn't let like it was i guess it, they thought it was too violent for us or whatever or maybe i didn't care i don't remember but um that was like that was like a thing for them right it's like that's like where they grew up right like uh, you know uh, I don't know. No, I, I feel that 100%. You know, they, in the many states of Newark, they mention, uh, you know, I grew up next to Newark, right? The town yeah. I grew up in was is next to Newark. And they mentioned my town. They mentioned South Orange. They mentioned uh, East Orange. They mentioned Springfield Avenue, right? Like, my friend Max lived right off of Springfield Avenue, which, uh, you know, I don't know. I just, I love all that. I think that stuff is, that is, is cool and it's great. And, uh have, have you ever had an Italian hot dog? Have you ever been to Jimmy Buffs? I've never been to Jimmy Buffs. I have had Italian hot dogs because okay. uh, they're, they're just kind of all over. Okay. Right? I haven't, uh, I, but I've never been to Jimmy Buffs specifically. I love Jimmy Buffs. Man, it, they used to have like four or five locations like around North Jersey, and then they like produced down to like two again, like the original, and then there's this one in East Orange. Um, oh yeah, I, there's there's a bunch of like little stuff like that that I that I'm on board. Like so, for instance, you know Taylor Ham. I think you call it pork roll. No, right? no, or I'm in North pork? Jersey. Taylor Ham. Okay, yeah, yeah. For me, it's Taylor Ham, right? Yeah. It's ta it's a Taylor Ham egg and cheese. What, what do I look He's like? like that every day. Some sort of some, some sort of South well, no, Jersey. Well, there's a because there's weird is there's it's pork roll, it's salt pork, or it's or it's Taylor salt pork's ham, a different thing. You pork roll, pork roll is South Jersey. Um, Taylor Ham is North Jersey. It's like a, it's a, it's a very, very regional. It's not thing. called salt. It's not called salt pork anywhere. I'm pretty sure salt pork's a different thing. Salt pork might be a different thing. That's fair. I mean, I always knew it as Taylor ham. Yeah. Right? No. Um, but yeah, Taylor. And then Sloppy Joe's is the other one. A Sloppy Joe, which I think is more a Central Jersey thing. There's Probably no Central not Jersey. 
Well, I'm not, you know, I, I, you know. Uh, if I if I go to a deli, like if I were to have gone to a deli and I order a sloppy Joe, I get uh, a, basically a coleslaw sandwich. Right. That's what a sloppy Joe is. Yeah. yeah uh, but that's a. I, and honestly, I think that might have died out. The I know the deli that I used to get sloppy Joes at because I used to ride my bike, you know, through Springfield down Springfield Avenue and through Springfield. <laughs> there was a deli called the Evergreen Deli that used to sell really great sloppy Joes, and I used to uh, I used to uh, get those all the time. Man, we we're gonna, we got to do a Jersey cast. Maybe maybe when you're in yeah. April Fool's Day lineup again, um, talking about the Devils all the time, right? Like, because yeah. it's the only it's the only sports team from New Jersey that like is titularly from New Jersey. Everybody talks about the Giants, but the Giants are the New York Giants. But the Devils, they're from New yeah, Jersey. Yeah. The Giants, and the Jets play in uh, play in New Jersey, but um, is that, do. Do South Jersey like I know South Jersey people are are, are Eagles fans, which is part of why mm. they they don't deserve to live. But um, is, <laughs> are, are they are they uh, are they Flyers fans as well? I don't. They must be. I don't know. I actually don't know the answer to that. Yeah. I mean, the Flyers are a good team hockey wise, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I guess I wouldn't be super surprised if. Uh, yeah. No. It's, if they were Flyers fans. It, it, what and there's. There's the Nets. There's also uh, the, the, or that, the Nets were in Jersey at one point, and then they moved. But back now to they're Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Yeah, they moved back. Yeah, to yeah, yeah. There was because the, that was the other thing. But nobody liked the Nets because the Nets fucking sucked. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so <laughs> those are, those were like those were like the New Jersey teams. I just remember everybody talking about the Devils all the time. The Devils are also really good, right? With Martin Berdor. Yeah, yeah. Especially during were, that when era. We were kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I I watched a lot of those games because we used to go into Newark. Actually, have you ever been to a Newark Bears game? Triple A baseball. Yeah, I. Do they still play there? I, I did a long time ago. I don't know. But I love – I mean, this is this is one of those things that um, that we did because we were we were poor, right? Like, because for Newark Bears game, you take the train, Newark – you know, you take the train into Newark, you immediately get off. It's, it's right fucking there. Yeah. And tickets are seven bucks. And it's like, what a deal, you know? Like, you could have a whole Saturday, and the thing is going to cost you less than 20 bucks. Killer. Yeah. No, I mean – and, like, do you, do you remember – so um, – the Devils used to play across from the Giants, um, but now they play in, in Continental Airlines Arena, which um, I, is now apparently a mall and like an indoor ski ramp. And, like open during the pandemic. I need to go there at some point. Um, wow. Okay. Um, I, what I knew, they they all play together in the Meadowlands, but they made that new arena in Newark. Right. So the Continental Airlines Arena is literally across the highway from the Giant, the old Giant Stadium. Um, oh. Okay. Yeah. Like there was literally a sky bridge. You could park in one and walk to the other. Um, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, they, the Rock is the Prudential Center downtown in uh, in, in Newark, um, like near the courthouse too. It was always uh, a pain to park at. But um, have you ever like eaten in like the Ironbound section? You must have. Like, oh yeah. yeah, we loved the Ironbound section because oh, yeah. there's that's where that's where I would go. We would get uh, yeah, that was like that was like yeah, the is there, right? That was like the fan- my parents live there now actually. Oh man. Um, yeah, my dad moved to he sold his house in Maplewood and he now lives in Newark. Um, and uh, that was like our fancy dinner spot. If we if something happened, and we had something to celebrate, you know, we would all go to the Ironbound section. We would go to there's a place called Iberian Peninsula. I wonder if it's still there. Iber- Iberia is still there. Yeah, I'm almost positive it's still there. Um, yeah, yeah, that place is great. And I I I I don't know. I just, I really love that place. Yeah. And that was what taught me right. Like what? Well, so Portuguese churrascarias are different than brazilian churrascarias brazilian ones are very 
uh, like sauce heavy in a way that Portuguese ones in the Iron Bread. Like going to Fogo de Chao is very different yeah. than going to yeah, have you, Iberia. Have you ever been to like uh, Fernandez? That, that was my personal favorite one. Uh, Fernandez too, which is like right around the corner from Iberia. They're all like right around the corner from Iberia. That and like yeah, four, they're all like yeah. Fornos well, Spain, we used to we used to also go to one that was just a takeout place, but they basically it was ba- it was honestly just like a kitchen. And like a little window, and in, and then you just saw these huge, huge racks, and um, and they just put them on the rack, and they just let it roll. <laughs> we used to go to those all the time, and then pick out, you know, and get a rack of ribs, half rack of ribs, that kind of thing, all the time. So yeah, ah, New Jersey, yeah. what a what a place, what a state. Uh, <laughs> what neither a state. In there. Neither of us live in anymore. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Man. Um, all right, before we before we get out of here, I, there was one thing I wanted to talk about that I did this week, which is I I finished listening to To the Bridge, um, which is just like another one of those like uh, th- I was talking a little bit about this last week. It's the the book about the mother who threw her kids off a bridge in Portland. Um, oh yeah, 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 fuck yeah, and like it doesn't get better. It just like <laughs> it, it gets you know it's just like an exploration of like you know you know everything is terrible like is is like you listen you read the book it's like you know she was still terrible but like maybe her husband was also terrible right like it's not like it's not like anything got any better right like it's just like you know you can understand maybe why she did this not that it absolves her in any way shape or form but also that like you know there were other terrible people involved as well um no that's that's true because um this got dunked on on twitter a lot recently like there was someone who made a a very half-baked kind of like it was oh man, it was like it's you know that I only know this because I vaguely followed the drama surrounding Destiny the streamer right, and there are all of these debate shows now. People will get in these big debates, and somebody made a really stupid point where they said that there's um, they were like there's sexism in the justice system, and the proof for that is that there's all these women on death row who are there for killing their abusive husbands, and. That's terrible because their husbands deserve to die because they were abusive. And then, I don't know if it was Destiny or somebody, like, related to this. Uh, they pulled up the Wikipedia list of all of the women in the United States on death row. And almost all of them are there for killing their kids. Uh, for, you know, drowning them in bathtubs, that kind of thing. Because I I don't know. Apparently, that's a, that's a thing. That's Yeah, no. There was a while there, where I got... A, there's an exploration of that in the book, too. It's like... And it's like like the only thing you get put on like you know not not to get too political but it's like the only thing that you will get a woman put on death row like it is like yeah like well so I read Mind Hunter which is the book behind or I'm sorry not it's not called Mind Hunter it's called something it's it's called something like that but it is the book written by the guy who created the behavioral science unit in the FBI which the show Mind Hunter, Mind Hunter that I talk about all the time on Netflix is based on right so I I went and I read the actual book itself and he has a whole thing where he talks about he's like you you might think it's sexist that all of the serial killers i'm describing and their their lives are you know these men who are in who who are brought up in houses where they are typically where there is typically really abusive uh female figures like moms grandmas that kind of thing and then they go on to become serial killers who you know kill women primarily almost all of them right and he's like you might think that's sexist on pc i don't think he uses that terminology this book's from the 80s he's like 
but it's just true. This is a thing that happens. If not, it doesn't happen to everybody, but a certain percentage of them, it happens to. I'm sorry. Those are the facts. And I read that and I was just like, my blood has run cold. That is like a fucked up thing to deal with. Just like thinking about, you know, yep, there are a certain percentage of people are just going to spend their whole lives insatiably killing other people because of their shitty upbringing. On, on a lighter note, um, <laughs> I also read The Three Stigmata of Palmer Eldritch, which is, um, I was doing it on tape, it's, it's another Philip K. Dick book. I don't know if you remember, but I listened to Clans of the Alphane Moon uh, sure. a while ago, and I was tired of like weird worm-based political treatises from Herbert, <laughs> uh, from Frank Herbert, um, having finished the fourth, um, uh, I finished, I finished, Dune book. yeah, I finished God Emperor of Dune last week. Um, yep. Three Stigmata of Palmer Eldritch, very fun, very weird book. Not quite as like openly like, you know, like, uh, what's the word I want to, like, like, uh, obsessed with women as, as Clans of the Alphane Moon was. Um, still a little bit of that, but like, it's got some weird stuff in it. It's it's got some weird stuff about like drug use and like very dystopian like talks like you know uh, the the earth is so hot that at noon you will die if you stay outside um, uh, and like that's like a thing and but and, like you know they're, they're having people colonize other planets because eventually I guess Earth needs to be a bin but like everybody still wants to live on Earth and living on the moon is terrible and the only, or not on the moon um, living on like Mars is terrible and Mars is like one of the good ones and the only way mm -hmm. that anybody can live with themselves is they do fucking drugs and they do drugs that like <laughs> like translate you to like like they call it translating they like put you mm -hmm. in the body of like like it's Perky Pat and I, I can't remember the name of the the man but like Women translate into the woman, and men translate into the men, and like if there's multiple, like and you can do it together, so there's at least a social social aspect to it. But like you play, you like basically transport your mind to like a semi alternate reality where you're either this 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 strong man or this beautiful woman, and like you do it for like 15 minutes, and that's literally the only reprieve in your shitty fucking life, living on like on Mars. Um, and uh, it's got a lot to say about that, and uh, it also gets really weird because like, um. There's uh, people like have turned this into a religious experience, and then there's like a bunch of other weird stuff. Um, it's a very weirdly spiritual book. Um, I would recommend it. Um, so, uh, uh, Three Stigmata of Palmer Eldritch is 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 the name of that book. Um, that was the last thing I wanted to talk about. Um, should... Well, you know, very cool. Honestly, very cool. Fuck. Also, also fuck. Yeah, <laughs> we've got a and you know. Dune comes out in two weeks, right? Although I think we're gonna. That's I, true. I am. I am not going to be able to see Dune. I think before. Oh my Monday. god, you're right because we have. That's the next week. The trip. So so it comes out the week after that, but I have a different trip after that. Oh, I see. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. Um, gotcha. Yeah. Um. So that yeah though that we might have to rearrange October, a little bit. Um, cause we're, we'll figure yeah, it out, yeah. you know, anyway. Um, well, if you'd like to email us and tell us about what you think about, um, Carnage, that was the movie we talked about first, or, uh, that was the movie we talked about Carnage or, or, or <laughs> Evan Hansen or any of the other things we've talked about on this podcast, you email us at subversiveplaygames at gmail.com or podcast at subversiveplaygames.com. You can follow us at twitch.tv slash subversiveplaygames where these shows go out live. Um, we've got a Twitter and, uh, and 
uh, uh, other stuff, a Patreon. Shoutouts to all our beautiful Patreons. Um, and uh, yeah. Oh, also, I guess we should, we should plug uh, Comic Club, which is uh, a podcast done by our friends. Uh, Savadar. Savadar. Savadar is Frank, right? Yes. Yeah, because they use their real names on the podcast. I was like, which one of these is Savadar? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, I mean, Savadar, the demon hunter, you know, like he's <laughs> on the podcast. Um, oh god that's funny uh, but they they do a podcast that is like oddly similar to ours except it's a little bit more news focused than uh than like you know content focused yeah they talked about like the nintendo direct recently for instance and their most recent one was about um about um just like covering the news around i guess new world um uh, which we might do next week as an episode no promises but that's that, that might be it what is the news or is there news around new world i think that it came out um oh okay yeah that's fine um, there's a but like Amazon is making moves in the game space, um, which is part of it. Um, yeah. Yep. This is the first big one from the Amazon Game Studios, which you know I think is pretty significant to be honest. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean they've, um, they've had Lumberyard for forever, but I, don't, I couldn't tell you anything significant that's been made in Lumberyard, uh, which is yeah, their game neither. engine. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, so check out Kame Club, K A M E Club. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, that's everything I had. Buddy, you have anything else you want to promote? I have nothing else I'm looking to promote. In that case, uh, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.